Hello and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name's Steve Barrett. I'm the editorial director of PR Week and I guide you gently through another show with my co-host, PR Week's executive editor. It's Frank Washcook. How you doing, Frank? I'm doing well, Steve. Thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure. And we have a special guest today. It's Jonathan Rosen, who's the principal and co-founder of PR Week's outstanding large agency in the PR Week 2023 Awards, Berlin Rosen. Jonathan, congrats and welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you for the honor at the awards and thanks for having me with you today. Yeah, it's a pleasure. We'll uh, look forward to finding out more about your firm. Then we're going to talk about a few news stories Horrible news from Weber, New York, about uh, Angela Mears passing away at such a young age. But we'll talk about Angela. Molson Coors, the CCO, Adam Collins, has been rallying support around uh, Evan Gershkovich, who's been uh, locked up in Russia. We'll talk about some new guidelines that uh, GLAAD has released about inclusive news coverage and transgender issues. Couldn't have avoided the Trump arraignment in New York City this week. We'll talk about the messaging implications on that. We'll round up people news accounts and talk a little bit about PR Week launching the Purpose Awards for 2023. But Jonathan, Large Agency of the Year, congratulations. <laughs> and Thank you very much. Yeah, great reward for some incredible growth, really, over the, especially over the past couple of years. You've gone... I think in 22, you went from 253 to 411 people, revenues north of $100 million, revenue up 34%. Just uh, top performance. Talk us through it and, and tell us how you've uh, managed to achieve so much, in, especially recently. Um, th- thank you. I mean, it, uh, we've got a great team and... Literally, the past couple of years have just been executing on what we've been trying to build. Um, you know, we started the firm nearly 18 years ago, just two of us. Um, the team has now grown, you know, as you said, to over 400 people across Berlin Rosen and our partner agencies. And at the end of the day, this is you know, what we do, what all of us do in this industry is pretty simple. It's, it's trying to understand our clients' stories, tell them simply and purposefully, and get them in front of the right audience. And I think we've really um, seen not just at our firm, but across the entire industry, that communicating with all of your stakeholders, internal, external, consumers, shareholders, employees, is really at the center of what powers brands. Um, you know, I think when the world shut down in March of 2020, so many companies and organizations had to radically and quickly change how they communicated. Um, they had to have, you know, there was more direct, emotional, and um, empathetic conversations. Um, a lot more transparency. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, the, the COVID crisis sort of sped up what was a, like a an ongoing trend of just the centrality of comms, not just to, you know, maybe the, the brand side of a business or an organization, but to the core of it. Um, and I think that's been at the, the center of our growth and frankly at the center of the growth of so many of our our peers um that that you guys cover day in and day out yeah i think that's very true and we've talked about it on the podcast we'll reflect it in our agency business report which is coming out uh the start of may another good year last year on top of a great year in 21 so i totally agree with you and lots of uh, lots more expected of pr people but that's what uh, the industry's been asking for for generations. We should say your, your co-founder is Valerie Berlin, so you're the Rosen, and Valerie is the Berlin in Berlin Rosen. 
tell us about what yourself and Valerie. How? Tell us what's the mission of the agency. What's what really drives it? And, and I think purpose is quite at the core of what you do. Absolutely. So, so our tagline is your story above all. Uh, and I think what we mean by that is our job is to help our clients identify their story, find their voice, find their purpose, find their why, um, and, and tell it in as compelling a way as possible. Um, like many good PR people, I'm a failed lawyer. <laughs> and um, in law school, my uh, first year lawyering professor said, wrote on the board, we had, we had, we had boards then, that's how, how long ago it was, uh, um, uh, know how complicated your client's story is and tell it simply. Um, and at the end of the day, I think that's what our agency is about and what we're trying to do. Um, so many of our clients are at the center of making impact on the world, um, whether they are advocacy organizations and mission-driven nonprofits, whether they're governmental organizations, or whether they're companies bringing game-changing technologies or products to the world. Um, you know, they, have, they are making a huge impact on the world, and we want to make that impact felt, and that, that's really at the core of the agency. And, you, know, you were talking a minute ago about the incredible growth the industry's seen over the past year and the broadening of responsibilities um, being asked of PR. And, you know, I think that's very central to how we think about our mission. You know, we see ourselves as counselors, as partners, um, as as deeply involved in the overall sort of growth mission of our clients and communications is just one expression of it. Um, and that's been, been kind of the, the core of the agency since we began 18 years ago. Yeah, and some of the new clients that drove last year, I think the Planned Parenthood, the MacArthur Foundation, Open Table, some of the work that stood out for me was the Sandy Hook, working on behalf of the families in that lawsuit against Remington. The books unbanned work, um, important work. So what really stood out for you in terms of, you know, a particular client or a particular uh initiative or campaign that you worked on over the past sort of 15 months? I think we've been really fortunate. We have a really diverse client roster that runs like a huge gamut. Um, you know, you mentioned the Sandy Hook work and we were really fortunate to be nominated um, for, for, for our work on that at the PR Week Awards. Um, our colleague, Andrew Friedman and his team have spent many, many years uh, working with the Sandy Hook families and their lawyers at Koskoff, Koskoff and Beter in Connecticut trying to bring accountability um, to the gun industry and, and make them uh, have liability for um, what seems to be, unfortunately, an almost every week occurrence in this country uh, of mass shootings. Um, you know, we saw in Nashville just, just the other week of, of young children. Um, and it's some of the most uh, emotionally salient work we do, but I think some of the, the work we're most proud of, um, you know, uh, Remington has been forced to, to, to both, pay up and, and open their, their books. Um, and, you know, hopefully that will start to bring, you know, more, more accountability ac across the board. Um, but we work across a, a huge array of, of industries. Um, 
helping the commercial real estate industry in, in many cities navigate what's been you know an incredibly tough transition, working with exciting new uh, initiatives like uh, Ford Motor Company's uh, Michigan Central, their, their mobility center in Detroit as that comes to life has been super exciting along with our client partner, New Lab. You know, I almost don't know where to pick. There's been, it, 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 we work across hundreds of individual briefs and, and they're all incredibly compelling. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. And a couple of things that you've uh, majored down on recently, you've got a CFO for the first time. I think you raided Edelman for that. I guess when you're north of 100 million, I guess you do need a C- CFO, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> we are uh, rated as a strong word, um, but uh, we, we were really excited and thrilled to have Jen Raymond join us from Edelman. Um, for many years, she's been the North America CFO um, for the Edelman team, obviously uh, an agency we look up to um, and, and really kind of the, the bellwether and pace setter for our entire industry, you know, what Richard has built over there. We have a great finance team at, at Berlin Rosen Proper. Um, led by another Jennifer, Jen Caban. We have a joke here that everyone in finance is, is named Jen. But as, as maybe some of your readers know, um, about a year and a half ago, we raised outside capital from O2 Capital Partners and had begun to invest in and acquire other agencies, building the platform both organically and inorganically. Uh, as we've done that, you know, we need to build a, a um, more analytically data-driven finance operation. We ran a, a, a big search and just think we can benefit from from Jen Raymond's you know, decades of experience as Edelman went through, you know, meteoric growth. How we bring rigor to, to everything we do as we go forward. And it's you know, yeah. exceptionally important. She's already adding a ton of value. She's a two weeks into the job and super excited for a partnership. Yeah, one of those acquisitions was Onward, wasn't it? The uh, DEI um Outfit. Yes. Talk, us, yes. talk to us about that a little bit. Like so many agencies in our space, we have dealt with issues around workplace culture internally and trying to be the most inclusive agency we can be, but also for our clients. There has been a real reckoning across corporate America and um, where people are you know, demanding change and demanding action on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um Often, like so many agencies, we get calls when, when you know, companies or brands have fallen short of their stated intentions in that area as a media problem. And we've said to ourselves, well, you don't really have a media problem. Um, you have an actual <laughs> substantive change management problem in your organization. And, and the reality is, uh, Tally Germain and her team at Onward, we got to know when we hired them to help us at Berlin Rosen on our own DEI journey, and they became indispensable partners. And at the end of our first year with them, they said, okay, you know, you guys are now on your own. We said, no, no, we, we want to work with you guys for another year. Um, this has been so transformational and impactful for our organization. Will you agree to stand for a second year? They said, they said yes. And we had another you know, really in-depth period of work with their team, where they really kind of embedded and became part of our team. And at the end of that was right around the time we had done our deal with O2 when we were thinking about both who were the people in our world we were most impressed with and what were the things our clients needed most. And, you know, uh, what Tali and Amber have done is check both boxes. Uh, You know, we are, to to meet Tali and her team is to be blown away by their ability to help an organization make lasting change. And when you look out across what our clients need, um, they need not just to com- communicate about internal transformation, they need to do the hard work of actually doing internal transformation. And so, you know, we want to be able to say to clients when they call us, um, you know, with a communications issue around 
you know, internal employee engagement, workplace transformation. Yes, we can help you with the communications issue, but you know, often uh, communications problems have at their root actual problems. Um, and you know, we're, we're, how do we actually provide our clients solutions? Um, you know, most clients, most people in the world want to do the right thing. They want to make their workplaces more welcoming, more inclusive, more diverse. And, you know, I, I think they're looking for roadmaps. They're looking for people who can challenge them. They're looking for people who can guide them um, and who can come to understand their cultures and, and create a safe space for change. And, and Onward has surely done that for us. Um, and we've seen that, them do that now for a number of our clients. And it's been an extraordinary partnership. As part of that acquisition, Tali um, not only continues to have Onward, but she also is a managing director at Berlin Rosen and leads our newly christened transformation and culture practice. Yeah, I think the key phrase you used there was long term because we saw a lot of initiatives after the murder of George Floyd. And you just got the impression that after a year or two, the, the focus had kind of waned a bit. So I think I totally agree that it's about long term and keeping it, keeping at it because um, sometimes you get the feeling that it, the, the focus has, has waned on that. So Glad to, to hear about that. And just sort of finally, t- tell us about this year. Obviously, a couple of amazing years for the industry and for yourselves. Is it a little bit tougher this year in terms of trading? What are you seeing in the market? And what are, what are the issues you're, you're at the top of your to-do list? So, so I subscribe to a, a bunch of different management and leadership substacks and podcasts that the industry do. And I, and I read one today that comes out of the tech venture industry. Describe this quarter as emotionally challenging, up and down, and it said anybody who didn't doesn't admit that is a lying liar was the word they used, and and the phrase lying liar made me laugh. Um, look, I, I think uh, the macroeconomic environment is challenging for the world, um, definitely in the United States and in EMEA. Um, we don't have as much exposure or any exposure really to APAC, so I, I don't have as much visibility there. Um, and I think what you're seeing is clients really looking at what's essential and what's a commodity. And so what that means for us is how do we be essential, right? How, how do we become a true business partner that is, you know, not a cost center for a client, but a key investment for our client's own growth and our client's own pipeline. Um, so, you know, we are projecting, I think like the rest of the industry, um, definitely a, a <laughs> decline from the, the gangbusters growth of the past couple of years. Uh, we're approaching this year cautiously, but we're also not running away from investments. Um, you, you can expect us to announce um, additional agency acquisitions this year. Um, and we're really excited about a, a new business pipeline. We've, we've had some incredible wins in travel and tourism. That's one sector that continues to just boom, um, which has been great as people are still traveling and sort of putting that in their, the one thing we all learned during COVID is, you know, you never know what tomorrow is going to bring. So spending that time with family yeah. or friends and getting out there on the road. So, so we've seen those briefs continue to we grow. We definitely see that in New York, don't you? The tourists are back in, in force. They are, they, are, they are back. Arts, culture, higher education, um, social impact. We've also seen a huge explosion in climate tech. Um, you know, we've had a really leading urban technology team for many, many years working with some of the largest companies in the space. Um, you know, there was already a massive increase in investment in renewable energy and transmission and grid. Um, and then the IRA passed and the floodgates opened. And, you know, I think we're seeing that that, that is an area that while the rest of the economy 
shows, you know, a little bit of, uh, of, of, of slack, um, that investment continues to pour in into things to make our society greener. And I think our, you know, unique combination of public affairs chops, regulatory chops, and technology background has made us a, you know, real go-to partner for both established companies in that space, as well as emerging companies. Yeah, investors for sure. That space. Yeah, it's difficult to get a, a, a real feel for what's going on. Jamie Dimon, the CEO of JP Morgan, came out this week and said, the economy's in fine fettle and, you know, we shouldn't be worried about it. So, yeah, in, it's an interesting time. Great. Uh, so that to that point, I think I think it is psychological. Yeah, for people. I mean, there's I agree. weeks where I feel like every client has decided they're going to press pause, <laughs> and then I think there's weeks where everyone decides we're all going to go yeah. forward. Ten things come in, and it's just a very strange time, yeah. and we're all navigating through it. Yeah, and I've heard clients putting shorter term contracts in place, you know, monthly sure. or quarterly. Um, they're not changing their payment terms, though. They're, they're you probably finish your contract before you get paid. But anyway, that's a whole other podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, Jonathan, it's great to find out more about the agency and, and congrats again on the award and uh, look forward to chatting to you further as we get into the news of the week. Frank, starting with a really sad, tragic story of uh, Weber's New York Chief Creative Officer, Angela Mears. Um, talk us through it. Yeah, really um like you said, a really sad story. Angela Mears was the Weber Shanwick, New York chief creative officer. Uh, she died suddenly. She was only age 35. Uh, she was a longtime veteran of the agency, too. She actually started there as an intern in 2011, which is a pretty rare thing throughout the industry. Um, she was in Buenos Aires, Argentina, uh, to serve as a judge for the Andy Awards when it happened. You could tell everybody over at Weber, and especially in the New York office, really in shock at uh, what happened. And and uh, I think it's probably safe to say that people throughout the agency world and throughout the industry uh, are, are thinking about them this week uh, as they, um, you know, really, really just just try to go forward in, in what's a, a very difficult situation, to be sure. Yeah, I've seen so many tributes um, on LinkedIn and in other places from across the whole country. And um, she was well loved, such a respected colleague and so talented. We honored her on campaign um, I think uh, last year and uh, our sister title. So, yeah, our thoughts with everyone at, at Weber and, and uh, Angela's family and friends because it's just tragic and, and far too young to pass. So, yeah, uh, not much more to say on that. It's just horrible. Um, and uh, our thoughts are, are with everybody who's been affected. Let's talk about the Wall Street Journal's Evan Gershkovich because he's been locked up in Russia and uh, Adam Collins over at Molson Coors is trying to get people rallied around to support Evan. Kudos to Adam on this, because uh, this is a, a very dangerous situation, obviously, um, with uh, Evan Gershkovitz, the um, Wall Street Journal correspondent, being detained in Russia. Um, you know, there's no idea how long he is going to be held for. Uh, I, I think if you remember the Brittany Griner situation, it could drag on for months and months and months. So uh, kudos to Adam uh, Collins over at Molson Coors, who is really trying to rally more corporate communications executives to do what they can or to show support for for not just uh, Gershkovitz's release, but also you know for the importance of a free and independent independent press. Um, so. So good for him on this. And, and I, I'd like to see more executives on the comm side 
you know, do do similar things because it, it, this is a situation that's that's very dangerous. I think. No, I think we're really in uncharted territory here. I mean, I think I think the idea that a reporter from a publication like the Journal would face this risk is is stunning. And I think you know, totally kudos to Adam, and also kudos to the Journal. I mean, I, I think they've kept this literal front page news in their paper. They've kept it at the top of the app. They, you know, their reporters are pushing. Uh, you know, President Biden and Secretary Blinken to respond on the record on this. Um, you yeah, know, and, and I think it, it's it's critical. I mean, it, 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 this can't go on for months. You know, and it's just terrifying. And I think something that we all, as an industry, have to be you know, incredibly in solidarity with our colleagues at the Journal and throughout journalism on. As a journalist, um, you can't be locked up for doing your job, you know, and the free and independent press, well, we all know that doesn't exist in Russia. So, um, and and you, you mentioned the Brittany Griner incident, Frank, the history suggests that, that he is going to be there for a while because usually you have to negotiate and give something to get something back in these circumstances. But it's, yeah, got to stand up for a free press and for democratic values. That's what... The whole uh, the war in Ukraine is about it's what um, it's what America's about defending things like that. So uh, yeah, um, well done, Adam, and uh, everybody should get behind that. And we did a story this week, Frank, about Glad um, releasing guidelines for um, inclusive news coverage of transgender stories and issues. Uh, important work here and uh, important topic to uh, address. I agree. It's, it's, this is a super important topic just because, you know, inclusion is so important in media. And uh, being able to talk about people and their stories and their experiences um, in a way that's appropriate is also very important. And I think Glad realizes that even a lot of people who are really um, well-intentioned might trip over their words or might use the wrong terms unintentionally sometimes. So they're trying to uh, create a guide for, for media to, uh, to use the right terms all of the time and to really cover uh, people and issues appropriately. So this was like you mentioned for International Transgender Visibility Day. Um, and they uh, also did a program called the Southern Story Bank, which features video portraits of trans transgender Southerners and people living with HIV, describing their daily lives and lifelong journeys. So kudos to them. And I think especially now because uh, the the hateful rhetoric is has been turned up so much, I think, especially on Twitter over the past few months, but has always been there on a lot of social media. And um, I, I think it's good that they waded into this to to really take a stand and to do something proactive that's really helpful in this case. Going that, I mean, Glad is a client of ours, and we've been really proud to support Sarah Kit Ellis and her thought leadership, their CEO. Um, for for nearly two years, um, they have an extraordinary internal comms team that that, that led this work. Um, but you know, I, I think, like you said, I mean, we are in a place that is incredibly terrifying. The violence we're seeing against trans individuals, um, against trans youth, um, the mental health um, and suicide issues facing trans youth, and I think we're seeing you know real concerns in the coverage of trans people. I mean, it's sort of a both sides approach with regard to issues like gender affirming health care. Um, you know, th these are not both sides issues. Every major medical association and World Health Authority in the world agrees and supports gender affirming health care. Um, you know, it's an area where there's no medical debate, but you wouldn't know that from a lot of the coverage. We're seeing the same kind of parental rights language 
um, that we saw creep into efforts to restrict abortion rights um, going into this into this framing that's going into things like book bans and curriculum bans and you know, drag queen story hour bans. Um, and so, you know, this checklist for media reporting is a really important sort of fundamental baseline for journalists as they, you know, both tackle these issues, report on these issues um, and, and deal with a set of issues that are, you know, frankly being weaponized by a lot of politicians in the United States and causing real harm. Yeah, I agree. Um, just very quickly, Jonathan, talk us through that books on band um, work that you did. Sure. Um, and this actually is a good jump off from 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 uh, Drag Queen Story Hour. Um, we've been really proud to support um, the Brooklyn Public Library for many, many years. We've also worked with um, the Revson Foundation and their work supporting libraries generally. And through our partners at Glen Echo, they have supported the American Library Association. And... Um, the Brooklyn Public Library, under their leader, Linda Johnson, launched a really amazing effort when books were being banned in a number of jurisdictions to take books on banned book lists in school districts around the country and make them available for free for students and teachers through the online e-library for people anywhere in the United States who wanted to be able to access those books. Um, that effort got national and global media coverage. Um, really extraordinary amount of coverage. Um, it got more coverage again when a teacher in a school district was was fired for using what, that resource, um, which then just led to a whole nother news cycle. Um, and it's really been a platform for the Brooklyn Public Library to champion free expression, free thought, and free ideas. And it led to a career first at Berlin Rosen, which is Barack Obama tweeting about the campaign, which you heard an audible shriek in our office when the people on the, B the BPL team saw that. So still not sure how that happened, but, um, yeah, it's extraordinarily important. I mean, it ties back to the Evan Gersowich thing. It you know, really it, does. It, free expression free, free expression, and free thought is, uh, is, is being threatened in a lot of places. And uh, it's something that's pernicious and something we have to call out. And thank God we have our libraries that, that are you know, at, the, at the front making sure that we're pushing back on that. Yep, agreed. Um, Frank, uh, couldn't really have avoided in New York City this week the arraignment of former President Donald Trump. And uh, give us your reflections on that and also any messaging implications about how it played out. People were um, wondering what would happen. You know, there were certain people who wanted it to be vast crowds of people or whatever. I'm not sure that materialized. But talk us through uh, what happened and, and the implications in terms of a reputation and messaging points of view. Yeah, this is one of those uh, where to start stories up for discussion. And so I think let's just start by talking about the the TV coverage. Um, and, and it was funny. And you, you brought this up uh, in a meeting the other day, the miles and miles of scaffolding in New York City, which with the aerial coverage just seemed 380 to, miles. There Frank. you go. Yeah. Seemed to throw a block into all of the helicopter coverage and all of the aerial coverage of uh, the former president getting out of the, the limo and going into the um, going into the court building and being arraigned and all of that. Now, it was really interesting in that you, you had this really intensely watched moment and you uh, a lot of it was the broadcast media sort of struggling to find images. You know, there's the one image that's going to be, you know, iconic of, of Trump at the defendant desk in the chair. Uh, you know, there's the other one of the court officers letting the door hit him, you know, as they as they walk through. But but other than that, because yeah, cameras a lot of... weren't allowed into the courtroom, were they? I mean, uh, video 
TV cameras so that they could have photographers. Yes, but photographers were. So you you have a lot of that and you have a story in which uh, there's just a lot of commentary throughout the entire process. I guess we could argue about whether that's good or bad or, you know, how the expertise was on individual networks. Um, But then I think when you get into the more serious stuff is when you get into the uh, Trump Tuesday night speech, which was really just like a litany of of complaints and and resentments and, you know, whatever for for 45 minutes. But um, when a really important thing happened during the arraignment, which was uh, the judge warning Trump and his team to really tone down. Uh, any kind of threatening or violent rhetoric or speech or anything like that. And, um, you know, he he's going to have to live up to that between now and December when the next trial date is. And so I, I think there's going to be even more of a microscope on, on what he says on his own social media network, what he doesn't say and, and things like that and, and how uh, and what any response to that is. And then, of course, you know, there's an implication for brands as well, because he, he's allowed to be back on Twitter. He's allowed to be back on Facebook. And it's, it's going to add another element to the brand safety issues uh, that those social networks are trying to work through. Yeah, it was. Um, it's gonna it's gonna run and run this one. That's yeah, for it sure. Is. It's gonna be a big issue in the election, Jonathan. And, and that's what, only what, this one too. There, there may be. It's important <laughs> to say there may be more yeah. indictments over the next weeks and months. Yeah, so. and and just to reiterate, this is the first time a, a president has been. Uh, this has happened to a president, Jonathan. What did you make of it? I mean. New York is fairly phlegmatic, isn't it? I don't think the place came to a standstill or anything, and it was a bit of a, for, for most New Yorkers, life went on as normal, didn't it? But did, did, do you think the arraignment landed? I didn't, I'm not sure you could say, oh, that's why he's being prosecuted, you know, like in a very easy sort of uh, one-sentence uh, summation. But what did you think? I think three things. I think the first thing is, um, you could be one block away from the court anywhere in New York yesterday and have no idea what was happening, which is really an extraordinary thing about how much air has sort of gone out of the balloon. Um, two, how symbiotic cable news is with Donald Trump. And you've seen ratings plummet since he left the White House. Um, okay, across just, all cable just, channels, whatever their, yeah, whatever the political bent. Just like he is oxygen, that they were, you know, they were just running that aerial and those two photos that, you know, all day yesterday. Um, and we'll sort of see how long that that plays out. I think we're going to see how much hold he still has kind of on the American psyche. Um, you know, he is, he is allowed back on Twitter and Facebook, but I think it's hard to argue he's having the same impact on those platforms that he did, you know, before he was banned. Um, but the idea that you could see a figure as globally polarizing as Donald Trump arraigned in a federal court in Manhattan, and the media basically outnumbered the protesters, um, is a extraordinary yeah, thing. They had to kind of mass around Marjorie Taylor Greene, didn't they? And that would and. Uh all the sort of sideshows outside of people trying to get um, attention, basically. So, yeah, it was um, it was interesting. I, I I thought it. I didn't think New York would be. You know, if it had happened some somewhere else in the country, it might have been a bigger deal. But 
New York's a pretty, uh, you know, phlegmatic city, like I say, and uh, business went on as usual. So, yeah, this will run and run for sure. It's going to be a big story. I'm kind of tired of it myself. But you make a good point about the the impact does seem to have lessened of, of his, uh, you know. And it was interesting, Frank, to see the cable channels, which ones covered the full speech in the evening, wasn't it? And, and the editorial decisions being made uh, in newsrooms. Yeah, uh, because while you could make the argument that he's the Republican frontrunner, we're so early in the process that that I think you can make an editorial judgment that it's not a political speech and that you don't necessarily have to air it. And I think other people uh, took the opposite approach that because of the historic nature of what happened, it, they should have aired it. Uh, I don't necessarily have a view on which one is the, the right one, but... Um, you're right. It was interesting to see which ones pulled away and which ones didn't. And NPR uh, should be noted did not covered it, but did not air it uh, word for word. Yeah. All righty. We'll no doubt come back to that. Um, we'll get into some people's stories. Frank Stacy Jones is leaving Accenture, and there are a number of other people appointments this week. Round us up on them, please. Yeah, of course. Uh, Accenture's um, global corporate communications head, Stacey Jones, she's leaving after more than two decades, a long-time uh, veteran at the consultancy. Uh, she's looking into new opportunities and going to uh, see what's next. Uh, before she worked at Accenture, uh, she worked in senior comms roles at Aetna and at Fleischmann Hillard, and she's also well-known uh, from her work at the Institute of Public Relations. Um, another interesting people move is that Manolife has promoted Ann Hammer to Global Chief Communications Officer, and she is going to be busy uh, with an RFP for the company's North American uh, PR AOR. So look for more coverage on that at PR Week. Uh, interestingly, she reports to the Chief Human Resources Officer, Pam Kimmett, uh, at the company. Uh, a lot of people know Hammer from when she was Chief Communications Officer um, for State Street Global Advisors, which, of course, was the organization uh, behind the uh, Fearless Girl campaign. Um, I'll get into some account moves uh, as well as soon as I talk about C Street Advisory. He's recruited Meta's Roger Cabrera. Uh, he's a veteran of Wells Fargo for more than a decade, and he's going to work with a number of teams across uh, C Street's uh, client base. Uh, okay, some. Uh, account moves as well. Praytel has uh, won the global uh, AOR, AOR account for two Marriott International hotel brands. Those are the Meridian Hotels and Resorts and Renaissance uh, Hotels. Um, so two well-known hotel brands for Praytel there. And uh, Lending Club Corporation uh, is looking for a strategic and creative AOR. Uh, for a, an account that is going to run through the end of this year. So another one, look for additional coverage on, on PR Week in the days and weeks to come. Yeah, we'll always keep you in the loop on those. And finally, we launched our Purpose Awards this week for 2023. They'll be handed out in October as part of PR Decoded on the first evening, October 11th. And the show is 11th and 12th. Always exciting to launch these awards, and um, it's the fifth year of them, and we've highlighted some fantastic work through those five years. So do get working on your entries because um, it's a very prestigious program, and um, it really does shine a light on some of the most important work out there. Have you got anything awards-worthy to put in for that, Jonathan? Stay tuned. We hope so. 
Yes, sounds like you should have from some of the work you've been doing. So, uh, yeah, we'll look forward to hearing from that. Jonathan, it's been great to chat to you and have you on the podcast and find out more about uh, the Berlin Rosen and continued success to you. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Frank. Look forward to talking more. Yeah, for sure. Frank, pleasure as always. Don't forget our Crisis Comms Conference in D.C. next Wednesday. You'll be able to see myself and Frank, Gideon Fiddlesay, the rest of the team. Really looking forward to that. It's a launch event, one-day conference, and we'll be talking about all things crisis. Then off to London on the 9th of May for our PR Week Global Awards. That should be exciting. Back in New York City, 24th of May will be a healthcare conference and awards and also in New York, our Brand Entertainment Awards on the 6th of June. So lots of fun events. Hope to see a bunch of you at those. And if, uh, like Jonathan, you're get, still getting your agency business report submission ready, you haven't got too long to do that now So because uh, that's published at the start of May. So please do make sure you've got your submissions in there. But that's all we've got time for. We'll see you next time on the PR Week. PR Week.